Blog Talk Radio. Hello everybody, my name is Boss Rutten. Hi, this is Diego Lima. This is Rodrigo Comprido and you listen. And you guys are listening. So you are listening to the Verbal Submission. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Verbal Submission. I'm your host, Brian Hemminger from MMAOddsBreaker.com, and we have a fantastic show in store for you guys today. Uh, the Verbal Submission is a podcast that is sponsored by Countermove, the best fantasy MMA site out there. And it is Sunday, April 12th, 2015. In just about five minutes, we're going to be joined by UFC flyweight champion Demetrius Johnson. So that's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be talking about his upcoming UFC 186 main event against Kyoji Horiguchi. And then in about one hour, we'll be joined by upcoming Invicta FC 12's Cassie Rodish, who is battling Stephanie Skinner the day before Demetrius Johnson competes at UFC 186. So uh, we're going to have a lot of fun with today's show. I hope you guys really enjoy it. And at the moment, I do have one of my trusty sidekicks here. So uh, Richard Perry, how you doing today? Uh, I'm doing amazing. I'm I'm super thrilled that uh, Demetrius Johnson is coming on with us today. I'm not going to lie. This came together a bit at the last minute. I was at the Indians game yesterday, and I was like, and I hadn't heard back from a few of the people that I'd reached out to to get today's show booked. And I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm going to text Demetrius Johnson. So I texted him, and he responded to me at the game. And I was like, oh, yes, yes, oh, my God. So when we were able to, to work it out, and then he uh, made it official today. He has a very pregnant wife. So he wasn't 100% sure he'd be able to do the show today because she is ready to pop at any instant. But he uh, he responded back. We're good to go. And uh, we've been promoting and hyping up everything ever since. So he'll be here in about three minutes. But in the meantime, um, Richard, we had three pretty big MMA events going on this past weekend. We had UFC Fight Night 64 yesterday. In Poland, we had Bellator 136 on Friday and World Series of Fighting, I think, 20 on Friday. So out of all the fights that happened this weekend, was there anything that, like, stood out to you the most from Absolutely. either of those three events? All right, let's hear it. Yeah, the, uh, the, the Bellator event had the uh, had Marcin Held locking on a knee bar for verbal submission uh, in round three. Yes. Our second verbal submission in as many Bellator events, all via leg locks. I believe both via knee bar. Yeah, no, that sounds about right. They were almost the same exact submission hold, um, different leg, but uh, same position. Mm-hmm. Pretty awesome. Oh, by the way, the chat room's open in case you wanted to join in there, in case you have any questions for Demetrius while we're talking. Um, anyway... Uh, yeah, I thought that was really awesome. It's uh, I'm not going to change the picture though. We had that one photo on our Facebook as our Facebook profile picture of Chael Sonnen verbally submitting to Paulo Filo for I think about four and a half years. So we're going to keep this one of Joe Warren screaming in agony against Marcos Galvao for at least a little bit because I mean it is a pretty good photo. So I, I figured that it's at least worth a bit of time until maybe another more high-profile 
a verbal submission takes place, which could happen, but I mean, that happened in a title fight, so more than worthy of being a profile pick. But it is pretty nice to see all these verbal submissions taking place lately. No, absolutely. All right. Well, I want to talk about UFC Fight Night 64 very briefly before I go get Demetrius on the line. We had Mirko Krokop get his revenge against Gabriel Gonzaga. How happy did that make you, Highlight? Uh, not very. I'm actually a pretty really? big uh, Gonzaga fan. Um, you, you know, the first Mirko Krokop versus Gonzaga fight was uh, was the event that, that made me really dive into being uh, addicted to uh, mixed martial arts. And um, I I got to meet Gabriel Gonzaga at a jiu-jitsu tournament a few years ago uh, after one of his students absolutely decimated me in a match. And he's a really nice guy, and I've been a, a big fan of his ever since. So I was I was actually kind of hoping uh, he would win that fight. I, I will say mm-hmm. I did kind of want Kokoff to, to land that leg lock when he went for it because that would have just been amazing. Um, but I, I wasn't too thrilled when uh, when Mirko uh, got his revenge. All right, well, i got to go get Demetrius on the line. While I'm doing that, I want you to list the things that you love the most about Demetrius Johnson so that when he comes on the show and he's just waiting for me to introduce him, he'll hear, like, how much we love him. Eh? That's like the perfect way to suck up to a fighter, right? I got you. All right. You got my back here. Let's do this. All right, I'm going to get him right now. Well, um, you know, for very, for a lot of reasons, Demetrius is uh, an amazing champion for the UFC. Um, I believe he has the latest finish in the title fight. You know, he went five rounds with John Moraga, dominated the entire fight. He was well on his way to, uh, I believe he was a minute and 30 seconds away from a pretty clear de- uh, decision victory. Instead of just coasting and, and retaining his uh, title in a very safe way, he gave up position, um, went for an armbar, um, and actually locked up the armbar uh, and, and submitted John Moraga in, in the last minute 30 of, uh, of his title fight way back in July of uh, 2013. Um, really absolutely uh, stunning how late he was a, uh, able to manage to lock on a submission. Um, he's also one of the rare you know, finishers. Um, at the lower weight classes, you don't really see a lot of uh, fights ending by submission uh, or KO. But uh, since he got his title um, in 2012, he's finished about half of his uh, fights. Um, one of them was a real early knockout. Uh, two minutes into his fight with Joseph Benavidez, he knocked uh, Benavidez out with a just massive and well-timed punch. Um, and even going back to his... Uh, his last fight against uh, Chris Carasau. All right, Richard. Uh, lost... Go ahead. All right, I got to interrupt you. I know you're talking about our upcoming guest, but we got to roll with it. I know he's a busy guy. So uh, without further ado, we are here very proudly to welcome back UFC flyweight champion Demetrius Mighty Mouse Johnson defending his title in just about two weeks against Kyoji Horiguchi at UFC 186. Welcome back to the Verbal Submission, Demetrius. Hey, man, thanks for having me on. Oh, it's an absolute honor to have you aboard. Uh, we've had you on the show before. We've had like guys that would go on to become UFC champions on the board. 
on, on the show before. I think we've had at least three or four of them now. But this is, I think, our first sitting UFC champion on the show. So this is kind of a big deal for us. Um, hey, now, hey. <laughs> so uh, first of all, first things first, I mean, your wife, the mighty wife, Destiny Johnson, is about to pop from what I hear. So how how close is he, is she? Do you have, like, a go bag ready? Like, are you just... Just aching, ready to ready for this thing to happen. Oh yeah, we, we got to go back ready. I mean, her due date was yesterday, so I mean, it could happen any moment right now. So, you know, I'm just outside, spend time with Tyron and uh, drawing on here with neighborhood kids uh, with some chalk and you know, just drawing life. But once once that water breaks or whatever thing happens, and you know, we're in the car and we're we're taking off. Well, if that happens during this interview, I will not hold it against you that you got a bail. So you let me know. You better not. You better not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, uh, I was watching your interview with uh, Frank Trigg that you did in advance of this upcoming fight because um, I'm the editor of MMA Oddsbreaker, so I get to look at the stuff before it goes up uh, right away. And, man, your kid was being a hellraiser in the background. Does he just like to grab whatever's around and just start going all over the place with it? Yeah, he's starting to get to that age where he just loves, you know, lawnmowers and jumping in and that type of stuff and, you know, he he has good peers around him that are his age, too, that, you know, do crazy stuff. Like, one of them was throwing grass in his hair today, and they all thought it was fun, so they all started doing it. So he's just a little hellion, and all the neighborhood kids, you know, kind of play into that. So it's always good. Build character. Oh, definitely. Now, how does that affect your training with what's going on right now, with uh, how close Destiny is to popping? Like, are you just... Uh, having to change anything with uh, the way that you're staying home or taking care of things? I mean, how's that How's that affecting things? Uh, not, nothing at all. You know, this is my first time, you know, when Tyron was about to be born. I, I fought in Seattle, which was 10 days after he was born. So, you know, training is mm-hmm. going as normal as usual. And once, uh, you know, the baby's born, you know, I'll take, you know, maybe two days off and then, you know, get right back in the swing of things. My weight's lower enough, so... It won't affect me too much, but it, it's just it's part of life, and I never want to put my life on hold for my career, and um, everything will be fine. Oh, that's definitely, that, that's great to hear. Now, I want to talk about some of the things that have been going on lately in regards to this upcoming event. Is there any frustration on your side that a lot of those big main card fights have, you know, been canceled or had, had problems? Obviously, you had Lombard-McDonald. That was going to be a real big one. You had... Uh, Dillashaw Barrow 2 and then now Rampage gets pulled so that's three main card fights that have just been you know decimated uh, with this upcoming UFC 186 event no I'm not frustrated at all you know that's that's their that's their doing that's their bout that they have to worry about mm-hmm. for me my bout doesn't move anything at all um, you know me and are going to go out there and display you know why we're the best fighters in the world and that's how it's going to go down mm-hmm. now well, the, the reason I bring that up is, you know, are you any are you worried at all that it could affect the buy rate? And then, even though those were the it's those are probably the problems that you know maybe some other people might not want to get it. That it could be you getting blamed because you're at the top of the card. No, I mean, it, I mean that could possibly happen, and you know, I'm not going to let that affect me or affect how I fight or affect my focus going into this fight or, you know, even previous fights where if I ever get uh, headlines to main card or anything, you know, people are going to make doubts and, you know, point the finger at everybody, but it's not my fault these people got hurt and that, you know, Rampage was not 
he's still in his he was still in his Bellator contract, and somehow the UFC thought he wasn't. So for me, like I said, I'm just focused on the KOG, and that's it. Oh, excellent. And I know that you always have stuck to your guns about being yourself. I mean, you don't like to make predictions about fights. You don't like to talk crap about your opponent, anything like that. You have been, you know, an honest, kind, perfectly reasonable guy. But has there ever been the temptation to go to the dark side with uh, promoting fights? Or you just, you know, you're always ready to, to stick to the guns? I just stick to who I am, you know. Um, I, I typically am not a, a trash talker. And, you know, if it ever came to that time when I started talking trash, you know, then it, it's it's not my personality, obviously. Um, you mm-hmm. know, obviously I talk about stuff with my, my family and my friends, but that's because they truly know who I am. Um, but, nope, I haven't had that bug in my back at all to try to talk like that. On the flip side, you know, that kind of – the same things were said about, you know, Jose Aldo. You know, he wouldn't have the – he didn't speak a lot of English, you know, so he wasn't able to hype up his fights to the, the U.S. audience. So what ended up happening was, you know, Conor McGregor comes out of nowhere, and this guy's doing all that stuff, and now Aldo versus McGregor is just the biggest fight of the whole summer. So do you feel like, you know, maybe it would be pretty cool if you had, you know, your own flyweight version of a Conor McGregor that was out there raising hell and drumming up interest? Hey, hey, we did. It was Ian McCall. He was, you know, talking all that stuff, Mm -hmm. drumming up interest. And then eventually, you know, at the end of the day, you got to be able to do both. You got to be able to uh, create buzz and be able to win your fights. And if you can't do both of them, there's no point. You know, obviously Conor McGregor can do both of those. Yeah, that's very true. And I guess another thing on the flip side with that was, you know, John Lineker, a guy that put Ian McCall in his place in his last fight, but then, you know, he's missed weight like four times. Now he has to go to Bantamweight. You know, this is a guy that basically put up a whole roadblock into your entire division with that. Yeah, you know, like I said, I, I don't look at it that way. You know, a lot of people worry about mm-hmm. a lot more stuff about my division than I don't even, you know, care to think about. You know, obviously, um, I was there for that fight and I saw it happen and, it's part of mixed martial arts, you know. That's why you can't, you know, bank on all oh, this person's generating a lot of hype. You know, if he gets beat, then it's, all the hype's gone. So I just focus on, you know, fighting the best fighters in the world. And if they deserve to be, you know, fighting for the title, then, you know, that's, that's what I'm about. All right, excellent. Now, I want to go back, way back. Um, this was probably about three years ago. You mentioned that you didn't like to watch a uh, film of your opponents. You, know, you mentioned a, a Haru Shimanashi quote about his philosophy on on preparing for specific opponents instead of focusing on yourself. So you know that, that's mainly what your strategy was. But for this upcoming fight against Horiguchi, you actually have done a lot of preparation and study, and you've watched his uh, and you've watched a lot of his fights and. I was wondering, you know, what what was with the transition to, you know, doing a lot more study and preparation for this opponent compared to maybe uh, the, the the second fight with McCall or the the fight against John Dodson. Well, you know, coming with uh, fighting a guy like Hugo Gucci, he has totally different style. His style is a little more awkward, um, likes a lot of range, uses a lot of movement. So, a fighter like that, you want to study a little bit more. You know, I'm not every day waking up, you know, studying fights. Of Kyojo or Gucci, you know, even the John Nacho fights, we study a lot of the, we study all my uh, fighters' films. You know, we look at their good habits, their bad tendencies, and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, we don't just train eight weeks specifically for a person. We spend eight weeks or ten weeks or 
you know, no training camp at all, just me focusing on becoming a better fighter. That way when I get in there, um, I, I'm the best team shots I can be because you can look at a game plan or a video and you can get an octagon and nothing might ever come to uh, in for tuition. Um, so that's why um, I just focus on myself. Yeah, now in regards to Horiguchi, this is a fighter with a very unique style. He stays pretty far back and and just kind of picks his shots, picks his moments to attack. He has that kind of karate style. And I was wondering, what are some secrets to, to kind of force this guy to engage when he stays back as far as he does, when he's, uh, you know, kind of passive almost during fights, waiting for, you know, the perfect time? Yeah, well, you know, you can take good looks at, like, you know, Chris Weidman versus uh, Lito Machida. I mean, Lito Machida, mm-hmm. Yudo Machida, you know, it kind of sits back and waves, and he explodes. Um, and Chris Weidman did a good job of just staying on somebody and just making a fight. So there's there's always ways you can do it to um, make that fight. At the end of the day, you're an octagon to fight, not to run and, and negate stuff. But, uh, you know, we're, we're prepared to, you know, handle a passive or beat you or an aggressive one. Oh, excellent. Now, you had, I believe, seven months off. Uh, in preparation for this upcoming fight. Now, most guys, when they have, you know, only three or four months off for a fight, they just go right back into training camp and they're preparing for an opponent. But with you, when you get that extra time, you get to focus on yourself. So I was wondering, is there anything that you're really proud of that you really worked on in this uh, those extra four months? Yeah, I'll just add a new stuff into my game, you know, trying to... Uh different stuff in my game, you know, I, I'm a very good pressure fighter and also uh, a rangy fighter who uses a lot of, you know, distance and uh, footwork, um, but now I'm trying to become more of a, a pressure fighter to where I'm using my clinch, and you're starting to see a lot more when I fight Ali Bagatina. I'm just mm-hmm. trying to uh, fight between those things. That way, you know, I can be able to put anything out there when I fight my opponent. Now, I got to ask about the way that you shoot in for takedowns, because I think the timing that you have when an opponent leaves like themselves exposed on a strike where you can change levels and explode in and put them on their back might be better than any fighter in the current UFC roster. And I was wondering, is that just something that came naturally to you? Is that something that you just had to drill day in and day out? Like, how did that come about? Um, I think it became natural to me because, you know, uh, after watching, you know, I, I watched the UFC countdown to, uh, goes to Octagon 15, and you see a lot of guys, you know, they go to, they go to different um, gyms to train different things to where at my gym, you know, I, I'm specifically at a mixed martial arts gym to where I'm training my kickboxing, my wrestling, my Muay Thai, my wrestling. Everything's with my wrestling. Um, so I'm able to transition between all my my skill sets very easily, and I think that's a big uh, thing that comes to it. Oh, that's that's terrific to hear. And now... I know that, like, maybe in the, the preparation for the, the Benavides fight, you, like, really focused on, like, a specific skill. Like, you know, you focused on the power, and you were able to, to really crack him and get that knockout. Was there anything else when you looked at your game after the, the Carriasso fight, and you're like, you know what, this is something that I really need to sharpen up? Um, You know, use I don't, I don't, you know, give, be able to sharpen stuff up from my previous fights. All I can... You know, I go in the gym and we're able to, you know, train with Matt and see what's not sharp and what's not there. Then that's how we build up on our on my fight, my style of fighting. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Now, 
Uh, one of my last questions I got for you is uh, one of my favorite ones that I like to ask fighters, but can you tell me the process of how you kind of get into character in the cage on fight night where you go from, you know, Demetrius Johnson, uh, upcoming father of two, to, you know, Demetrius Johnson, the destroyer of worlds that's about to, you know, tear this guy's head off? Uh, I just go in there and do my thing, and I think to myself, it's time to go out there getting paid, and let's go out there and, and you know, show the world we were working on for last couple, last past couple months. Um, and that's it, you know, it's, I've been competing since I was in high school, I mean, actually middle school, doing different sports, and now I'm professional at it, so that's what I'm just, that's what I do. I go out there and I become mighty belts. Oh, terrific. And and I don't know if you know this, but there is a professional wrestler named Adrian Neville that just debuted in the WWE, and he's kind of coming out with a bit of a Mighty Mouse gimmick. I was wondering, do you know anything about this? Like, he comes out in the cape, like, WD's kind of promoting him as, like, this superhero, this, like, tiny superhero. Have you heard anything about this? No, I, I have not. All right, so you might need to get a talk with, uh, send your lawyers a little message to WWE about this. Just letting you know, giving you the heads up. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, John. I'll, I'll be on the lookout for it, and yeah, I'll sue them if I need to. All right, well, uh, I think that's about it. I'm not even going to ask you how you think the fight's going to go, because that's really not your style. So I just want to say, uh, is there anything else you wanted to add, Demetrius? Any uh, people you'd like to thank? Any sponsors, trainers? Uh, the floor is yours, man. Yeah, I also like to thank my, my training partners at AMC, the whole squad out there, and Matt and Brad, and help me get ready for this fight. And make sure you guys tune into uh, my fight against Kyo Jorogucci, UFC 186, April 25th, live on pay-per-view. All right. Well, thank you so much for stopping by the show, Demetrius. I'll let you go back to family time, and uh, I really appreciate the time, man. All right. Sounds good, buddy. Thank you. All right. Thanks. All right, buddy. Have a good day. All right. You too. All right. That was a UFC flyweight champion, Demetrius Johnson, stopping by the verbal submission, talking about his upcoming fight against Kyoji Horiguchi, and much, much more. So... Very excited to get to talk to him. Uh, I know that he is a very busy guy. Like, he is constantly playing babysitter. I mean, he is he is either training or he is with family. That is pretty much 100% of his, how he spends his time. So uh, what did you think of our little conversation there with uh, Demetrius? I, I enjoyed it. I'm a, I'm a massive fan of uh, Demetrius. Uh, I, I can't remember the last one of his fights he's miss, I've missed going all the way back to his time in the WEC, so I was just thrilled we were able to get him on. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely. All right, well, let's get back to uh, talking about the, the fights from this past weekend because we had a lot of stuff going down. We're going to start with UFC uh, Fight Night 64. So I think the the first thing I want to talk about is probably the, the most important, and it was the, the fight that had the most title implications out of everything. And it was ended up being uh, Marina Moraz or Morose versus Joanne Calderwood, and everyone and their mother thought that Joanne Calderwood was going to come out there and destroy this poor Ukrainian girl, and then call out Joanna uh, Yacheck, and they would just have an awesome Muay Thai striking battle for the women's strawweight championship, and. Unfortunately, Marina Moraz was like, uh, "Hey, uh, I'm I'm here too. You know, I'm fighting." 
and she goes out, takes the fight to Calderwood. They are having a very even exchange on the feet, and then Miraz gets her to the ground, taps her with an armbar in 90 seconds. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Came out of nowhere. She was a huge underdog in the, the betting side of things. So what did you think of that performance first? Well, first off, I was devastated because I am a big Calderwood fan. But, I, you know, I will say if that was the Calderwood, uh, if Calderwood won and then showed up looking like that against uh, Joanna, it wouldn't have been a fun night for anybody involved. Um, hopefully this means she, uh, she goes back and um, she spends some time, you know, working her striking and submission defense. Um, but, yeah, uh, Marina was a 4-1 uh, to underdog the last I checked, and um, she did not let – uh, JoJo intimidated her at all. She pushed the pace, and um, she was able to lock in a, a really tight, really quick armbar early in the fight. And um, it, it was just an absolute uh, shocking event. And it really, uh, it, it was kind of unfortunate for the strawweight division in the UFC because it, it kind of puts a, a, a bottleneck right in that in that weight class right now because um, Marina isn't ready for um for uh Track. It's it's over if they ever get her to fight. Even within two or three fights, that's not enough time, um, for her to get a a game on par. Um it's it's uh it was interesting, but not definitely not what the UFC wanted to happen. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I also heard some pretty interesting rumors about uh what was going on with the uh, uh, Joanne Calderwood in the lead-up to that fight. I don't know if you've heard any of these. Do you want to hear them? Please. I, I would love to know them. Okay, well, did you hear uh, one of the commentators mention that Joanne had spent the last six weeks of her training camp over at the All-Stars gym instead of her uh, Dinky Ninjas gym in Scotland? Did you hear that when she was walking I, into the I cage? I, I heard them mention that. I, I didn't see a huge effect on um, Calderwood's um, mentality. She she always mm-hmm. walks into that cage like she's well, terrified of what she's about was, to do. That was yep. an after effect of what I heard. Was uh, her longtime boyfriend wasn't there to support her for the uh, at the weigh-ins or anything? And what I heard was they broke up, and she left her gym. To, just to get away from him because he's one of the trainers there. Um, it, it would make sense. I mean, um, switching and that was in six weeks before idea. the fight. Yeah, six weeks so. out from a fight is not when you want to be switching gyms, especially not when you're uh, when you're emotionally, you know, vulnerable like that. Um, hopefully, this means she gets to a better gym than Dinky Ninjas. I mean, I I, I hate to say those guys are a good gym though, like. You saw Stevie Ray debut earlier in the night and just slaughter Marcin Bandel. I think those guys are a good gym. It, it's a solid gym, but I really would like for her to, to get to a gym, hopefully something like an AKA for uh, fight camps. Um, you know, Scotland doesn't really have the, the deepest waters to train in. Um, maybe... Staying, uh, staying in the gym, you know, close to home for her normal training routine makes sense. But going to uh, to a um, to America or or to um, to uh, for us up at TriStar, 
you know, in preparation for a next fight would be a good step for her to take. Yeah, that 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 makes sense. I mean, we'll see what happens. I just I just hope she can get her head straight because she does have a ton of talent. She is a very exciting fighter, and this is now twice in her last two fights, if you count the Ultimate Fighter, that she's been submitted by an arm attack. So uh, it's well, it's it uh, that, a bit frustrating. It might be that um, that self destructive thing that some fighters get where where um, they put themselves in a position to lose instead of into a position to win. You occasionally, uh, I, I think Chael Sonnen talked about it on The Ultimate Fighter, how um, he, he would always find a way to lose in a fight, even if he was dominating. Yeah, I, I can see that. Now, let's let's move on to Mraz. Do you think that she's actually going to get the, the title shot against uh, Yachechek next? Because they really... That, don't have a, a legit number one contender right now. I really hope not. I I don't want to see what Yolanda uh, would just absolutely do terrible things to her. Um, it would be, it would just not be okay. It would it would be it would be not okay for a lot of reasons. But I don't want to see someone get battered that much. Um, it would be a one-sided beating, and, and that's not really what we need out of a championship fight. I mean, they can happen, but I don't ever want to see someone outside of the top 15, um, you know, win one fight and then get a title shot. That that really never should happen. Um, I, I, I'm thinking probably um, the next person we're going to see, um, see fight for the title is going to be Gadelha, whoever... Uh, wins um, against Gadelha next, or Gadelha if she wins uh, the next fight, and maybe give uh, Marina someone like a, a, a Tisha Torres or a Jessica Panay um, or an Isling Daly if Isling Daly um, doesn't have another fight lined up because I know she got pulled off of this card, and, and that would make sense. Somebody in the top ten, because um, she certainly punched her way into that, but Nobody near the the absolute pinnacle of the sport. Yeah, it's it's just going to be a interesting situation to see how this all develops because there's just there's just not a lot going on right now in the the, the strawweight division. There's it's still so new that you know I didn't even know who Yolanda Yachechek was about a year ago until she made her UFC debut against Juliana Lima, and then I was like, holy crap, this chick is good, and then. Um, now she's the best women's strawweight in the world. So this division still has a long way to go. And it's not that she's the best. It's just she's so much further ahead than everybody else in the division. Um, it, it's kind of scary. I mean, um, I can't think of a time, you know, this is starting to, to if, if you want to get a few wins under her belt, she's going to get that, that Ronda Rousey mystique where she's just, Everyone um, is going to be watching a fight to see how she ends it or how she wins it and not if she wins it. And um, that's a great thing for her, but not so much for the rest of the division. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I'm completely with you, man. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I think a, I would rather see Mirage get the title shot than see the winner of Paige Van Zandt versus Felice Herrick get the title shot. I'll tell you that. Oh. Yeah, 
Yeah, you know, because I, if, I, if probably, Haraz doesn't get it, they might go ahead and do that. Like they I, I really think, might. I, I think Gudella is Gudella is going to get the next title fight. I, I hate to say it. Um, well, she would. It, she was if she was going to fight. If she fought on this this last card against uh, Ashling Daly and won, then she probably would have got it. But now that she's injured and out and just on the sidelines, she's not. Like they need, they well, need somebody to fight you, Chechek. It wasn't a huge injury; it was a muscle spasm. I know. Um, so, so it wasn't like you know she she destroyed her meniscus and and going to be out for nine months. Um, but she still does really need to start up a new that, training camp. Good point, but that that's the only fight that really makes any sense whatsoever. For me, at for for the belt at one fifteen, every other fight is kind of, you know, a can crusher. Mhm. I that's why I think that they're actually going to go ahead and give Maraz the title shot. Keep your Chechek, you know, Chechek busy while they wait for the division to sort itself out a little bit. They're just going to be. You a, know, um, I mean, they're going to have to make that fight the the co-main event or even the third fight from the top of the card. Uh, to sell it, just because it's just not there at this point, but the that's just what they got to do. Yeah, I mean that might be the top of a of a a, a fight night or, or a fight pass card, or mm-hmm. even a co-main of a fight night card. Yeah. So, all right. Well, let's get back to focusing on uh, some of the other stuff that happened in that that event. Jimmy Manua took on Jan Blockowitz. And Manua apparently went into the fight with a torn ACL, MCL, had a sprain of his PCL. I don't know. He had, like, anything that ends in L, he had an issue in his knee. And he still goes out there and takes a decision away from Blockowitz. Did you – what did you think of that fight? Was this just hot garbage? Like, what did you make of it? Um, the fact that Manua pretty much had no legs – he was basically fighting with no leg. Um, you know, make me understand how that fight went. Because uh, I saw that several points, if uh, Manuel really put it on, he could have he, he done some damage, possibly closed it out. Um, but it, it really tells me that high-level, you know, anything, in as far as uh, Miss Martial Arts is concerned, in, in Poland and in a lot of Europe is, is a rare thing. Um, you know, it, it's kind of scary how the UFC's been building these Poland cards. Uh, I, I think they won, what, one or two fights on this card? You know, I think they won um, the uh, uh, Fabinski card, uh, fight, and, and that was it. It's like the anti-Brazil. Um, you know, good on Manuel for not pulling out of your fight and watering down the card even more than it always already was, but... um he did what he was supposed to do against Blackowitz, and um, he, you know, he didn't do it in a way that, you know, puts his name into any sort of relevance at uh, two hundred five. All right. Now, was there anybody else that stood out to you for uh, UFC Fight Night sixty four? Was there any other performance, anything that you were like, you know, what this 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 guy's got a, a chance to to do something here in the division? Well, Leon Edwards. Uh, this mm-hmm. might not mean anything because it took eight seconds, but he's 23 years old, and um, you know he's fighting out of England, so he's got that you know 
that homeland background behind them. So the next time they do an England card, they can throw him up on the card. Um, he knocked the guy out in, in one second quicker than, than the UFC record. Um, so, you know, that was interesting to watch. Uh, not too often you see an entire fight that can be contained in a vine. So that was uh, always entertaining. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, there was really nothing of value on the card. <laughs> well, it, it was not the UFC record. It was, if you remember, uh, Todd Duffy beat uh, Tim Haig in seven seconds. Chan Sung Jung beat Mark Hominick in seven seconds. And if you go way back, Dwayne Ludwig did get his win in about six seconds, but the timekeeper screwed up and made it like 11. So it's like the fourth fastest knockout in UFC history. But, I mean, still, that's ridiculous. Well, the fastest in UFC Europe history, then. Okay. I, 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 it's the fastest in welterweight history, that's for sure, unless Ludwig's was welterweight. It might have been welterweight, damn it. <laughs> no, that was at but, 155. Are you sure? I am... Googling it right now, but I'm about 100% positive that I was, that was at 155. Um, well, let's find out. Yeah, it was against uh, Goulet, who never fought at welterweight. Uh, no, that's not true. Goulet was a welterweight. His whole career. <laughs> he fought Mike Swick, Marcus Davis at welterweight, Chris Clements. Dustin Hazlett at welterweight, Jason Day at welterweight, Josh Koscheck, Jay Heron. Every every fight he ever had was welterweight. So sorry, sorry That's to burst your bubble. Not true here. at all. The um, Darren Elkin fight wasn't at welterweight. The Jim Miller fight wasn't at. Uh, yeah, he was. Um, you're he was you're talking. You're talking that Dwayne Ludwig had some lightweight fights. He did. I'm talking Goulet when he knocked him out. It was at welterweight. I think you are right. Okay, I I bow to your knowledge. You are right. There we go. So I apologize, but uh, it looks like it's still I think fourth fastest knockout of all time, and it might have been faster. Like that fight was literally first punch, he drops at Bazinski, and then I mean Bazinski did throw like two punches and like a pawing jab, and then. Edwards just exploded forward, but the first punch Edwards threw, he dropped him, and then the lightning quick two punches on the ground, and then just walked away. He started dancing before the ref could even get in there. <laughs> I mean, that was pretty impressive. It was frustrating to me because I wish that guy had shown up in his UFC debut. He says he faced Claudio De Silva, a guy that is not very good whatsoever. <laughs> he might be the worst two and O fighter in the current UFC roster. And, like, he kept getting taken down against uh, Claudio. I mean, he was cracking him with some good left hands, but he, he kept getting taken down, and then eventually uh, he ended up losing the decision. I mean, he, he was given a mount on the ground, so his ground game is still a big question mark, but on the feet, there's no denying this guy has a ton of talent. And, and that's kind I, of I, I bet him in both occasions. So this time he, yeah. this time he hooked me up, but not last time. Uh, wrestling's always been a weak point for for the British fighters, so that that's mm-hmm. not too much of a shocker that uh, that his wrestling isn't on point. Yeah, and I'll say uh, two other fighters that impressed me were uh, Alexandra Albu. I think that she's going to be a, a pretty good young talent in the uh, women's strawweight division. 
I'm not going to throw her in there in the title mix yet. She needs a lot more experience, but she looks pretty good. Uh, the first Russian women's strawweight, and uh, man, she is in good shape. <laughs> and uh, Stevie Ray, who the Dinky Ninja Spider made a terrific UFC debut against Marcin Vandel, landed some heavy strikes, uh, both standing and on the ground. He looks pretty legit. He's got some good wrestling. He's got a, a he's a bit of the complete package. I think this guy could be really good. Like early in his career, he had some trouble with submissions, but he uh, definitely worked on that part of his game. And you could tell. I mean, Marcin Bandel was going for leg lock after leg lock and trying as hard as he could to get that fight to the ground. And Ray was not letting him have it. Like he's actually a, a Scottish fighter with a pretty good wrestling. So I think this guy has a chance. Yeah, I, I could see. Crap. Yeah, I, I could I see Stevie Ray being a, a top fifteen guy someday. No, I, I don't disagree with that. Um, I, I will say that Marcin uh, really did feel trapped by his name, having to go for all those leg locks. <laughs> yeah. What's funny is Bandel had actually, um, you know, Bartosz Fabinski, who fought later in the card, that made his middleweight uh, debut in the middleweight division and, and won against Gareth McClellan. Marcin Bandel actually submitted Fabinski, like, easily when they fought each other, like, a few years ago. So that just shows. I mean, the guy's got a pretty good ground game. But uh, Stevie Ray, don't mess with him, man. All right. So uh, that'll do it for that event. I want to go back over to uh, Bellator 136. What did you make of Will Brooks's performance in that main event, his uh, title defense against Dave Jansen? Um. It was a solid performance. Um, I, I was shocked he even lost the round. Uh, I, I, I liked it, uh, Dave Jensen a lot. Um, and um, Jensen kind of came out really, really pressuring. And uh, Wilbrooks um, kind of broke a little bit. Uh, I wouldn't even say broke, but he wilted a little bit in the clinch. And I want to say about three-quarters of the way through the uh, the first round, in the last minute 30, you know, he started figuring out how to fight in the clinch and, and how to strike on the break. And I think that's what really won him that fight, um, doing all the damage, um, you know, in the clinch that he was able to do. He was able to kind of take that away from Jansen. So props to Will Brooks. You know, he, he keeps on um, proving everybody wrong in, in, in that a lot of people say he's a super boring fighter. That wasn't a boring fight in the slightest. So, uh enjoyable fight. Yeah, I, I really enjoyed that performance. Uh, Dave Jansen took the fight. I mean, he really went after it in that first round, but I think he just went too hard too early, and then he just completely ran out of steam. No, I, I agree 100%. I actually had uh, Jansen winning the second round, not because I you know I thought he, he convincingly won it, but... Um, I do say that a lot of judges tend to look at volume more than uh, than um, landed strikes, but um, uh, the Athletic Commission in California was doing something where they had uh, members of the media sit and try to judge fights, and uh, I think that tightened up some of the de- the decisions a little bit, although I disagreed with some of them. Yeah, I completely uh, agree with you, and then I'm assuming that the de- decision you disagreed with the most was Joey Beltran, Brian Rogers? Yeah, I saw that as a draw. 
I saw that yep. at uh, 20, 28. I thought Brian Rogers won the first and third round, second round, clear 10-8. So by my criteria, that's a draw. By most judges' criteria, that's probably a win for Brian Rogers because they hardly ever give out 10-8s. So and, I, I assumed that, that Brian Rogers was going to win like a majority decision. And instead they go with Joey Beltran. Like, I don't know. And, and I was I was very, very upset. Uh, I'm not a big fan of Joey Beltran and his gigantic head. So I, I, I was not pleased with that decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was just frustrating because – I thought for sure Brian Rogers was toast after the second round. I thought he was toast during the second round, but especially that just even that he survived it, I was like, well, he's just giving an extra 60 seconds before Joey Beltran swarms him and crushes him. But he goes out there, and he takes the fight to Joey Beltran in that third round. I mean, he ate shots, but he dished out some punishment, and I couldn't believe that the judges didn't reward him for his performance in that third round. I mean, he was going after it. I mean, I was flabbergasted that he was that still had that much left in the tank after the beating he took in the second round. And I, I will say, I did think it should have been stopped. Um, you know, I, I'm, I was pretty surprised that uh, the referee also named uh, Beltran um, didn't step in and end that fight. Um, that really should have ended in round two. Uh, Brian Rogers took a whole lot more shots. The fact that he was able to still fight in the third round notwithstanding um, you know, the only thing I could possibly say was um, that he decided to keep himself grounded. Um, possibly, you know, the way he did it with the fingertips instead of going down to a hand and a knee um, prevented the ref from jumping in. And that's the only thing that I could think of that makes the least bit of sense on why they didn't stop it. Yeah, I don't know. It was just really goofy. So we'll see. Now, is there anything else from a Bellator you want to talk about? I mean, Tony Johnson pulled off a pretty ugly victory. Well, let's talk about Joe Schilling. What do you think about uh, Joe Schilling in MMA? I mean, he looked really good in that first round against Rafael Carvalho, and then in the second he closed the distance too much and then ended up getting outgrappled against a guy that really doesn't grapple with anybody. So... You know, what did you make of uh, Joe Schilling's performance there and uh, and his future in the middleweight uh, in the in MMA? Well, as far as his performance, I mean, I did flip out the second he hit that sweep. Um, nobody could have predicted that Joe Schilling would hit a sweep in an MMA fight. Nobody mm-hmm. would have ever predicted that in a million years. So I guess the um, the Diaz brothers did teach him something when he was there. Uh, I also want to say that, um, you know, a lot of kickboxers aren't adverse enough to the clinch to transition to MMA effectively. Um, mm-hmm. You know, they they tend to walk right into the clinch, and that leads them to getting pressed up against the cage and then taken down. Um, and, and that's always going to be kind of a curse. Um, give Joe Schilling, you know, uh, some fight, you know, against someone who's 100% isn't going to take him down. Um, I, I I couldn't name somebody in Bellator right now to fight him at middleweight. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I thought Carvalho would be that guy. <laughs> yeah, I thought so too. But the second Joe Schilling puts leather on you, 
your brain's going to go grab him, do whatever you can to not get hit again. Um, fortunately, uh, Melvin Manoff, you know, the second Yoshung touches him, he goes to sleep. Um, with somebody with a solid chin, they're immediately going to shoot for a takedown, or they're going to try to figure out how to clinch and stop from getting hit by, you know, those ridiculous shots that Joe was able to land. Mm-hmm. What do you think about this little feud that's brewing between Joe Schilling and uh, Phil Baroni? I, I don't want to see Phil Baroni fight anything. Um, that would just be <laughs> awful for Phil Baroni. He would get murdered really quickly, and it, it would be it would be unfortunate for humanity if that fight if that fight happened. Because but, but Phil Baroni ever. would actually die. He would actually die, and I don't want that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, last thing from Bellator. Did you catch Chad George's fight against Mark Vorgas on the preliminary card? Or if you didn't, did you see the highlight from it that was uh, bouncing around social media afterwards? Who the fuck gets caught with a Von Flu choke? <laughs> hey, Who gets caught with a Von Flu choke? Literally, like, the third thing I was taught in jiu was, okay, if you get taken down and they pass your guard... Let go of the guillotine. Just let go of it immediately. And I'm going to show you why right now. And then they show me why, and I wake up about 20 seconds later. And it's it just who 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 gets put out with the with the with the von flu choke in professional mixed martial arts? This is terrible. <sighs> yeah, I was uh, pretty disappointed. But I just thought that was hilarious what happened with him and the referee. I mean, you saw that, right? No, no. I only saw the okay. – um, I only was able to catch a clip. Okay. You need to go back. It's it's all over Facebook and stuff or and or uh, Twitter. But basically what happened was Chad George had the guy in the Von Flu. He's on top of him, and the guy goes out, and his arm, like, spazzes for a second after he goes out. And Chad George goes – He's out, and the referee saw the guy's arm like, twitch, and he goes, "No, he's not." And he's like, "Yes, he is." <laughs> and then George gets up, lets the guy down, and the guy is just unconscious on a heap on the ground, and just walks away. And then the ref jumps in and waves his arms. And he's like, "I'm an idiot." <laughs> it was hilarious. Just, you got to find it. That's, like Chad that's George bad was great. On the ref. Um, yeah. That's bad training by the by the commission. Um, that happens when someone's getting choked really tight. You know, mm-hmm. um, you spasm. I mean, if you Josh Kotchek, uh you you foam at the mouth. It you know it's part of being choked. Yeah, I, I always liked Chad George. He's a he's a cool cat. He had a a little mini documentary done about him a way a while back called uh, Occupation Fighter, I think. And yep, that's uh, it was it was while he was on the comeback trail. Uh, actually, it was about the end of his uh, WEC career, I think. And um, and then he's on that comeback trail. And it, I was like really excited about to see where he was going. But thrown in there against Joe Soto and Cody Gibson and back to back fights on the <laughs> regional circuit. I mean, you just can't expect to beat those guys. But uh, nice to see him pick up uh, another pair of wins. So maybe he'll uh, move his way up onto the the Bellator 135-pound scene. 
So I hope he can get in there and uh, and make some make some waves with those guys because he's a pretty cool cat. Now, do you want to talk about World Series of Fighting Twenty? I mean, is there that much to talk about? <laughs> uh, well, the only thing that really mattered on that card was, uh, you know, the branch. Whoever well, there was one thing to talk about. The Von Flu choke by David Branch. <laughs> not really. Uh, you know, <laughs> I I did not care about that fight the second that Ronnie Marquez dropped out uh, 24 hours before the event. So uh, I guess you know you could talk about Nick Newell against Joe Condon. You know the the perseverance of Newell. I mean that was kind of nice to see his performance there. I mean he looked he looked pretty good. I mean Condon's a, a decent ground guy, so. I mean, I got to go back and rewatch it just to see um, what was going on exactly there. But it was it was nice to see Newell bounce back after that tough Justin Gaethje loss. I mean, that that guy is a cool cat, and you know he deserves a lot of respect for just what he does in there. And no, the the fight I want to talk about is Emmanuel Wallow versus Phoenix Jones. Were you shocked that Jones was defeated in his big World Series of Fighting hype debut? Well, listen, all you need to be a supervillain in Seattle is a good double leg, apparently. Um, because Fodor <laughs> could not stop takedowns. Um, it, it, it was kind of frustrating to watch. I, I was kind of hoping because, you know, Ben Fodor is not someone I really, you know, watched a whole lot. Um I, I remember seeing him briefly on a Super Fight League broadcast at, like, 4 in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, he's not, you know, someone that had a whole lot of hype. We all know the World Series of Fighting signed him because of the superhero thing. Um, I, I I just looked at the camp he was out of, um, Demetrius Johnson's camp, actually. And, um, you know, I was hoping he'd, he'd have something... But oh, he didn't. That was something we should have asked Demetrius about. Yeah, it, it didn't dawn on me until, you know, five seconds ago. Um, but, you know, it just it was just unfortunate for him. And it's unfortunate for the World Series of Fighting when arguably the biggest fight on their card was by a guy who was at the time, you know, 5-0. Um, and oh, um, And... Everybody wanted to watch him because he was a superhero. And you got a title fight on the card. You got um, a former contender on the card. But everybody wants to see the guy, you know, in, in spandex. So uh, it should not say good things about the World Series of Fighting, uh, about their future, we'll say. Mm-hmm. So, and I guess uh, the other thing that happened on that event was uh, Steve Mako had a nice little performance in a heavyweight contest. I mean, this guy was a pretty big player in the the heavyweight wrestling scene before switching over to MMA. Do you think that he has uh, a decent future here in uh, World Series of Fighting? I mean, he didn't have the the best performance in his World Series of Fighting debut against Milino Rama. Um, I have no desire to watch any World Series of Fighting heavyweights. It's (laughs) possibly one of the few things in MMA, like MMA at heavyweight outside the UFC is just a dumpster fire on the whole, um, you know, with the rare exception, um, 
and World Series of Fighting Heavyweights have absolutely 100% has what it takes to be worse than Bellator heavyweights. You know, I, I, you know, Jerry makes fun of the lighter weight classes a lot, but I have no desire to see, you know, 260-pound guys gas out in two minutes and 30 seconds and then go to a decision. But, but, uh, but come on, Richard, we had... World Series of Fighting heavyweight division brought you the Derek Mayman, uh, what's his name? Something Gracie. <laughs> exactly. They, they the Rick Flair flop. It brought you the Rick Flair <laughs> flop. <laughs> oh, that was uh, that was enjoyable. Um, but was it, it was enjoyable because it was awful. Like I said, I mean, it, it's car crash MMA. You know, you stop and you look at it because it's a terrible thing. And you want to be able to tell people you saw it, but you're not watching it because anything of value is being shown. Um, <laughs> and and it's it just like I said, light heavyweight outside the UFC is usually not that good, but they have flashes of talent here and there. Um, heavyweight, it's just not really at all good. Mhm. All right. Fair enough. <laughs> um. So, is there any last things you want to talk about before I go get uh, Cassie Rodish on the line? Um, you know, I, I will. Uh, I will plug Marcin Held versus Sonofsky for that. Uh, okay. For that knee bar, um, Marcin Held did a phenomenal job. You know, really controlling Sonofsky on the ground, and um, you know he's he's always looking for the finish, but um, to to kind of uh, go for a knee bar. Um, after two clearly uh, defined one rounds is uh, is a very brave thing. Um, and um, Held is one of those few sub- get submission guys, one of the few ground guys that really always goes for the finish. It's um, it's, uh, it's him and, and few others. Yeah, I completely agree. Like, uh, at a... Uh... I I think the transitions that Held made in that fight were phenomenal. The way that he can so fluidly switch from a clinch to dropping down for a leg lock to taking top position the second his opponent adjusts on the fly like that is super, super impressive. I mean, Marcin Held oh, might yeah. be one of my favorite ground fighters in MMA right now. Like He does oh, so yeah. many unique things. And I, I really do want to see him against uh, Will Brooks next. That would be a phenomenal fight. It's, he should be next. I mean, I can't think of anybody else that deserves it more. Plus, he won a tournament, and he was just staying busy. And his version of staying busy is taking on one of the most dangerous lightweights on the rush, on the, the Bellator roster. You know, Sarnowski was like 20-0 and 0 or something at one point. So that's crazy impressive to me. So uh, you might want to go grab uh, grab Cassie. Yeah, let's go do that. So while I'm doing that, uh, I guess you can talk about this upcoming UFC on Fox 15 card. Uh, anything that impresses you or maybe what you think about Chris Camozzi stepping in to take on uh, Jacare in a rematch on short notice. Uh, whatever your heart's desire, uh, you could take it away, Mr. Uh, Richard. Well, um... 
Jock Ray versus Chris Camozzi is a, a, the absolute definition of uh, of, of last-minute panic. You know, we called ten people, but nobody wants to fight Jock Ray on almost no notice. Um, to give you an idea, um, one of the last things that Chris Camozzi opened for was, um, I believe, Shinedown. He opened for Shinedown before a concert. Um you know, on uh, Pride F, uh, Prize FC or something like that. And, um, you know, just uh, just one fight after that, he's fighting, you know, an absolute submission monster in, in Jacare Souza. It's, uh, it's a, a good opportunity for him. I hope the UFC keeps him on even after he loses because he earned that, that pat on the back. Uh, I hope his manager's got him a massive paycheck for taking this fight. Um, but believe me, nobody's watching this card to see Jacare versus Chris Camozzi. They are watching for Machida versus Rockhold. Yeah, I completely agree. All right, well, let's get back to uh, our, let our next and final guest for tonight's show. She is competing at the upcoming Invicta FC 12 event against Stephanie Skinner. Uh, Cassie Rodish, welcome to the Verbal Submission for the first time. Oh, awesome. Thank you for having me, guys. Oh, it's uh, our pleasure. We always love giving support to the Invicta fighters. So uh, first things first, you know, you competed in Invicta three times, and then you fought with RFA in your last uh, in your last bout, scoring a very impressive first-round finish before now coming back and getting re-signed by Invicta. So how does it feel to be back? Yeah, I'm super excited. Um you know, Invicta's kind of the platform right now in women's MMA. They got, you know, a good following. Everybody's starting to really know their name. They're put, you know, they're on USC Fight Pass now. So it's really an exciting time for women's MMA. Yeah, that, that's one of the things I, I definitely wanted to touch on was uh, you get a whole new platform, too. You know, Yeah, you fought with Invicta before, but they were having streaming issues, like, a lot of people wanted to watch, but they couldn't watch. But now, this time, UFC Fight Pass, like, there's no messing around. So you're going to have a really good audience for this uh, upcoming fight. So does that kind of put a little bit of extra pressure on you as you head into this uh, Invicta return? Um, for me, I don't want to say pressure. I think it's exciting. I mean, we've all mm-hmm. been working so hard to get all of our fans and to build up a really good base and get our name out there. And now we have a great opportunity, so um, definitely not nervous, but super excited to kind of go into the big leagues now. Yeah, now RFA is also a, a really good promotion that helps foster, like, a feeding type of uh, promotion that gives the UFC uh, some good talent. So what was it like fighting for RFA compared to Victor? Um, You know, really the only thing that's... Um, that much different would be having an all-female card and mm-hmm. having, you know, males and female on the card. RFA did a great job. Um, all of our accommodations were great. They ran weigh-ins really well. They took care of all the fighters. You could really tell that they cared about um, the people were that, that were fighting and on that card. So they did a great job. Um, you know, and they have a lot of people. Pat Militage is their announcer. They, you know, they have some of those big names out there, too. So they did a great job, and I loved being on their card. Um, and Victor as well, you know, they really care. They now they care cater to just women. So it's kind of neat because 
they have people who will come in and do our hair for us the night before the fights and you know they cater to more women but um both shows do a wonderful job at promoting women's mma oh definitely i completely agree now let's talk about this upcoming fight Stephanie Skinner was actually someone that fought in RFA as well, and you guys were probably going to end up fighting each other if you had both stayed in RFA. So how how interesting is it that for your both uh, returns to Invicta that you're faced squaring off against each other? I mean, you guys are probably pretty familiar with each other. Yeah, you know, I think this is why the fight happened for Invicta too is because um, she had a win and then I had a win. They are pretty close to the same amount of time. Um and so we both were winners in RFA, and we both won a fight. We're both game opponents, so we knew that probably we were going to face each other. We got um, I got re-signed to Invicta, and as soon as I got re-signed, Stephanie came out. She said, yeah, I want to fight, and I said, yeah, let's do it. Both our managers pushed for it, and now we got to be on the Midwest card. Yeah, that, that's definitely uh, something that I'm sure you really appreciate, especially because that um, – RFA fight, um, you know, that was all the way up in Minnesota. So this time you get to be a little closer to home. So that's always probably a nice little bonus because most Invicta fights are in a bit of, pretty close to your backyard. Yeah, I've been really fortunate. This will be my fourth time with Invicta, and they've all been in Kansas City. And I'm only mm-hmm. about three hours away. So we bus people from my gym, from my city. And I just have a great showing there, um, and that makes it a little more, you know, it's it's really fun to fight in front of people that you know that are rooting for you when you can hear your name when you walk out. So it's always exciting when I get a fight close to home. Oh, definitely. Now, uh, something I definitely wanted to touch on, and, uh, you know, doing my research for you a little bit is, you know, you definitely <laughs> like to call yourself a, a redneck, and I was wondering, what were you guys doing on Easter? Were you guys building a chicken coop? Oh my gosh, you did look up. Yes, you did yeah. your homework very tough. <laughs> yeah. We yeah, we are really redneck actually. <laughs> but um yeah, we bought a um a new chicken coop. We wanted to increase our our chickens, um, get more eggs throughout the winter, so we added about six more chickens into our um, our coop, so we expanded a little bit, and the whole family got together. I got two girls, so they helped build it and paint it and get it ready for the chicks. Now, do you raise chickens for the eggs or for the meat or both? We do both. We do okay, both. Cause... We spin, we thin them out every year. Um, we keep, we have um, six chickens that are just layers, and then we rotate, like, our meat chickens. Because some chickens are better for meat, and some mm-hmm. are really good layers. So you, um, we actually do both. Uh, I, w- I was bringing that up because you're talking to the Ottawa County first-place chickens at, at the fair uh, from, like, 1998 nice. or, or something ridiculous. So way back in the day, I won... I was I was a chicken raiser for a few years and I was pretty darn good at it with the family. So. Oh, that's so awesome! <laughs> I'm kind of excited because this year I got some rare breeds. I got a do you know what a, a like a, a they call it a frizzle chicken? No, it like doesn't a ring big, a bell. Furry headed. You'll have to look it up. It's really cool. Okay. It's just kind of a rare breed and its feathers go everywhere and it looks kind of like a muppet slash chicken. It's kind of funny. 
But mm-hmm. I was really excited. It's taken me two years to get them now, so. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Do you raise any other animals other than chickens? Um, we have geese. We have ducks. Um, we have one pig right now. If we lived further out in the country, we would. Um, I would. Re- I really want some goats, but we live. Mm-hmm. We live kind of in the city limits, so uh, technically our chickens are illegal. Oh no! So I hope this interview doesn't get yeah. out there to the mayor. Yeah, <laughs> I'm pretty good. I keep all my neighbors fed. They get fresh eggs and. We keep everybody happy in the neighborhood, and we we don't have any roosters, so they're they're kind of tame. They're a lot quieter than those little yappy dogs in our neighborhood. So, oh yeah, definitely. Yet. <laughs> that's good. Yeah, uh, ducks and geese don't work as well out here because they like to get out and roam around, and we get coyote problems. Like my uncle had some issues with that. So, unfortunately, mm-hmm. all right. Well, I got to ask. What is, if you could, like, list something off the top of your head, what's, like, one of the most redneck things you've done? Um, do you know what noodling is? I do. It's Isn't that where you, you stick your, your arm in the river and catch a catfish and yeah. when it bites on your arm? Yep. <laughs> you yep. did that? Yeah, that's pretty redneck. It for me, it doesn't seem that redneck, but for other people, it's really redneck. So. <laughs> yeah, there was like a reality TV series about it in like about guys in like Mississippi or something that would do it, and I was like, oh my goodness, I couldn't imagine anybody that I know doing that. But there you go. <laughs> yeah, no, my husband took me one time, and we don't have like um, huge, huge rivers like Mississippi, but um. We can go underneath the bridges, like where some of the cem- the cement pylons are, and there's some pretty good catfish down there. That's so awesome. Did you actually get to keep the catfish that you got? Oh, yeah. We fried that up, yeah. Oh, that is amazing. Oh, my goodness. Noodling catfish. Oh, I'm so happy that I heard that today. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get back to uh, the task at hand. Now, what do your uh, kids think about your fighting career? Do they just think that mom's a badass? Well, it's funny because I don't think they care. Mm-hmm. It's so the norm. Um, they get with with them being older. They go to the gym with me all the time, and you know they know all the all the other fighters. Even if they've been in the UFC, they know them. They don't really care you know who they are or what's going on so for them it's just kind of like a normal job i mean mm-hmm. maybe when they get older and um they get a look back on it they'll be really impressed but right now i'm just mom i'm more annoying than anything <laughs> <laughs> have they have you ever heard about them going up to kids at school and saying my mom can beat up your mom they do not do that because they would probably get a good ass feeling from me. But um, it's funny because I am, you know, I'm an atom weight, so I'm 105 pounds. And mm-hmm. I'm just this little mom. And when I'm at school, people ask me all the time, you know, what do you do for a living? Or my kids will be like, oh, my mom, she can't eat lunch with me because she's dieting or she's cutting weight. Or they have to explain, the common one is they have to explain why I'm carrying around a jug of water all the time. Mm-hmm. So... Some of the conversations get really interesting with the moms. They don't they don't really understand <laughs> understand fighting and what it takes and but um 
it makes for some interesting conversations at school, that's for sure. Oh, definitely. All right, well, let's let's focus on the task at hand. Uh, Stephanie Skinner, okay. she is a pretty dangerous opponent. She's also nine oh. years younger than you. You know, is that something that you're concerned about, or you know, is that just you know something that you you expect at this point in your career? Yeah, no, honestly, nine years younger doesn't awesome for her, right? But um, <laughs> it's that much more time that I've had being experienced. I'm not worried about um, the physical or the strength or the cardio or anything like that. Um, she is a very dangerous po- opponent. You know, she's very unorthodox. She throws a lot of things. She, you know, she's young, so every every fight she's learning new things. She's getting better. So in that aspect, she is a very dangerous opponent, and I am taking her extremely serious. Um, man, I mean, I'm 30, I'm 35 now. That's not like dying. <laughs> You know, mm-hmm. it's funny because for women's MMA at 35, now I'm at this generation where it's like, oh, no, I have to have all these different testings and all this other stuff. But quite frankly, I'm in the best shape I've ever been in my life. I'm probably in better shape than when I ran college cross country, which is saying a lot. Um, I feel good. So I'm not too worried about the age issue. Well, that's uh, really terrific to hear. Um, uh, now, you actually, you know, I, I assumed that it wasn't going to be an issue because, you know, when you fought Stephanie Frosto, I think she was even more than, you know, nine or ten years younger than you, and you still went out there and, oh. you know, put a whooping on her. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I feel like nowadays to be a strong, competitive in MMA I think the experience is going to take over that. As long as you are in good shape and serious and you've been taking care of yourself. Um, you know, like you said, this is longer that I've had time to be on the mat, hone in my skills, work on certain things. Um, so in MMA, you know, it's a very complicated sport. There's so many aspects, and it takes many, many years to master anything. And as far as I'm concerned in the sport, I'm still just a toddler. I'm still crawling around trying to figure out stuff. So if I'm a toddler, somebody nine years younger than me is kind of an infant right now. So Mm -hmm. I just have to think of it as I put the time in. I've worked really, really hard, and I have to trust that my skills are going to carry me through. Now, I know this one is a bit of a a crazy type of question, but with – Invicta's atom weight division, you know, there are not a lot of uh, people that are, you know, at the top of that division. So are you are you going into this fight thinking, you know what, if I win this, if I win my next one maybe, you know, I'm in the title mix. You know, has that popped into your head at all? Like how uh, just big the opportunities are right now in the Invicta atom weight division? Yeah, um it's confusing, and I'm not quite for sure, like, where they're structuring people at right now because they are still bringing in more atom weights. Mm-hmm. Um, always, 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 um, I want to be the best at my sport. So I'm constantly thinking, yes, I want to be in a championship fight. Yes, I want to prove myself. Yes, this step, or this fight in front of me is the absolute most important. I have to get this if I want to continue my future. So I am always, always thinking that. Um, is that what Invictus thinking? I'm not for sure. 
So that puts even more on me that I need to go out, win this fight, and not just go to a decision. I mean, I need to go out, put my name out there, say, I haven't been back in two years. This is how I fight. This is what I want. You know, and then hopefully um, that'll put me in their, their line of fight. Well, that's terrific to hear. Now, uh, I'm trying to think if there was anything else that I really needed to ask you. Uh, I'm going to ask my co-host here, Richard. Richard, you got anything for uh, Cassie? He says he's good. Okay. <laughs> All okay, right. Richard. Well, nice talking to you. <laughs> <laughs> he, was, he was the same way against Demetrius Johnson earlier, so it's okay. Now, uh, one thing we always do like to ask our uh, our guests, is uh, if they have a nickname and they haven't been on the show yet, how did you get the sassy nickname? I just can't picture a redneck being called sassy. Right. <laughs> Probably has something to do with my mouth. <laughs> it, um, <laughs> we, it's, it spawned back from when I used to work in a restaurant. I used to work for Outback, and then the owner of it, he just started calling me sassy all the time. And I guess I was kind of young and lippy and kind of thought the world was in my hands, you know, you're young and dumb. And he just coined that terminology, and it's always stuck with me. Everybody's called me sassy. So when I started fighting, it just seemed like that was that was it. I mean, it makes, it makes sense, too. It, it's super fitting. <laughs> oh, excellent. All right. Well, uh, I think that'll about do it for our questions for the, the show today, but... Uh, one last thing, uh, when you're kind of picturing victory on uh, that Friday night for Invicta FC 12, you know, what do you visualize? It's funny because um, it always ends up being the complete opposite of what I visualize. So when mm-hmm. I think I go in there and I think I'm going to get a knockout, then I end up with a submission or vice versa, um, I'm always visualizing my hand rates. I want my hand raised. I want my hand raised. I want to be dominant. I want it to be the best performance of my life. So however it stops, I just want it to be the best that I can possibly be that night with my hand being raised. Wonderful. All right. And uh, before we let you go, did you have any shout-outs to your trainers, your training partners, sponsors, anybody out there? Uh, The floor is yours, Cassie. Okay, yeah, awesome. Thank you very much. Um, Definitely my teammates down at Des Moines Jiu-Jitsu. Um, they have been incredible, and they push me all the time. Um, you know, in Iowa, we don't always get um, our names out there as much as some of the bigger schools, but it is full of killers, full of wrestlers, wonderful jiu-jitsu. So I love everybody at Des Moines Jiu-Jitsu. Thank you very much. Um, one of my biggest sponsors um, in and out of this camp this year has been DZ. They're a local company, um, and they are just all over promoting women's MMA and Invicta. Um, so a huge shout-out to DZ. Um, Cardio Force and Roadhog are with me as well as sponsors. And also, go check it out, guys. Um, Sick Chick Fightwear. They are making a badass outfit. Probably, I'm the most excited about this outfit out of any of my 10 fights that I've had so far. This outfit's killer. So go check out um, Sick Chick. They have wonderful gear um, for training MMA or going on a run or whatever. They just have amazing clothing. All right. Well, Thank you so much for stopping by the show, Cassie. It was a real treat to talk to you for the first time, and best of luck against Stephanie Skinner and Victor FC12. Awesome. Thank you for having me on. You guys have a good night. All right. You too. Bye-bye.
Bye. All right. That was Cassie Rodish stopping by the verbal submission, talking about her upcoming fight at Invicta FC 12. Richard, you enjoy that one? Yes, I did. Um, you know, I, I I hate to say it, but I was overlooking the Invicta card coming up. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, also, thank you for hot potatoing the question over to me, you know, knowing that you gave me like <laughs> 10 minutes notice on this on this show. Yeah, I know. I'm bad. <laughs> Hey, I was. Hey, weren't you impressed that I was so quick to answer your question uh, about how she got into MMA? No, I, I appreciate that. So I'm just doing my part, man. All right. Uh, is there any last stuff you want our listeners to check out before we call it a night, Richard? No, I uh, I am tapped out as of right now. All right. No problem. And uh, I guess uh, for me, is there anything I want people to read or check out? I don't think so. So, yeah, I guess I'm just going to be boring and uh, say go check out MMAOddsBreaker.com. They're they're awesome. Oh, and you guys should try out the MyFitnessPal app. Really good. Puts into perspective all the terrible things you put in your body for eating uh, when you have to actually mark down those 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 foods and how uh, many calories they are. So it actually was has been a big help with me lately. So all right, uh, I think that'll do it for today's show. So you can check out the verbal submission on Facebook, the verbal submission. We're also on Twitter at verbal submit. You can check us out on Twitter. Richard is at high underscore light. I am at Brian Hemminger. And big thank you to Demetrius Johnson for stopping by the show. And huge thank you to Cassie Rodish for stopping by the show as well. So they were great guests. And we'll be back next week, same time, same place, 6.30 p.m. Sunday night, Eastern Time. And uh, what time is it right now, Richard? It's code angle time. Baby.